Hi. Hello. And welcome to Kraken's Cabin. It is another wintry night out there, my friend. So, I have the fire stoked as much as I can, with your hot chocolate right there, beside your comfy chair. I brought some blankets from the attic space as well, and they've been toasted next to the fireplace since you left. I mean, you've forgotten how quickly it would get cold out there. So, I wanted to make sure you could warm up when you come back. Did you enjoy the walk? Good. I know some fresh air and a slow walk can help with perspectives and can sometimes provide that momentary escape from anything that might be bothering us. I've been walking a lot recently too. I'm sure you've noticed. Ever since we found that riddle last week in the music room, sitting on top of the safe, I've been trying to solve it too. I even sent a riddle to researchers and contacts around the world. One of them, Morella, we thought we had a breakthrough, but no such luck. You remember the riddle. Starts, queens were three, I counted, the red, the white, then me. But how many stayed a week and made it home for tea? The raven black I pondered, never more or less, but what number sits astride this confusing mess? All red, then white, Alice round the board. The distance running one way, the crown she ran toward. The points were three, I counted, the looking glass did help. I saw the answer looking back at me as it sat upon the shelf. I feel like it goes between Alice and Edgar Allan Poe, but... Anyway. Perhaps some time away from thinking about it might give us some fresh perspective, so... I was thinking of a tale that also involved hiding secrets and walls. It's short, but I thought it'd be a fun distraction, if nothing else. So, please, sit back and relax. Get warm. This is The Cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne his best. But when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You, who so well knew the nature of my soul, will not suppose, however, that I gave utterance to a threat. At length, I would be avenged. This was a point definitely settled. The very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. A wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes its redresser. It is equally unredressed when the avenger fails to make himself felt as such to him who has done the wrong. It must be understood that neither by word nor deed had I been given Fortunato cause to doubt my goodwill. I continued, as was my wont, to smile in his face, and he did not perceive that my smile now was the thought of his immolation. He had a weak point, this Fortunato. Although in other regards he was a man to be respected and even feared. He prided himself in his connoisseurship in wine. Few Italians have the true virtuoso spirit. For the most part, their enthusiasm is adapted to suit the time and the opportunity. The practice and posture upon the British and the Austrian millionaires. In painting and geminary. Fortunato, like his countrymen, was a quack. But in the manner of the old wines he was sincere. In this respect, I did not differ from him materially. I was skillful in the Italian vintages myself, and bought largely whatever I could. 
It was about dusk. One evening during the supreme madness of the carnival season that I encountered my friend. He accosted me with excessive warmth, for he had been drinking much. The man wore motley. He had a tight-fitting party-striped dress, and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells. I was so pleased to see him, that I thought I should never have done any wringing his hand. I said to him, My dear Fortunato, we are luckily met. How remarkably well you're looking today. But I've received a pipe of what passes for a Montalado, and I have my doubts. How? said he. A Montalado? Pipe? Impossible. I'm in the middle of carnival. I have my doubts, I replied. And I was silly enough to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. You were not to be found, and I was fearful of losing a bargain. Amontillado. I have my doubts. Amontillado. And I must satisfy them. Amontillado. As you're engaged, I'm on my way to Le Chessy. If anyone has a critical turn, it is he. He'll tell me Lucchesi could not tell Amontillado from Sherry. And yet some fools will have it that his taste is a match for your own. Come, let us go. Whither? To your vaults. My friend, no. I will not oppose upon your good nature. I perceived you have an engagement. Lucchesi, I have no engagement. Come. My friend, No. It is not the engagement, but the severe cold with which I perceive you're afflicted. The vaults are insufferably damp. They're encrusted with nitre. Let us go, nevertheless. The cold is merely nothing. Amontillado. You have been imposed upon. And as for Lucchesi, he cannot distinguish Sherry from Amontillado. Thus speaking, Fortunato possessed himself of my arm. Putting on a mask of black silk, and drawn a relaquilaire closely about my person, I suffered him to hurry me to my palazzo. There were no attendants at home. They had absconded to make merry in honour of the time. I told them that I should not return until morning, and had given them explicit orders not to stir from the house. These orders were sufficient, I well knew, to ensure their immediate disappearance, one and all, as soon as my back was turned. I took from their sconces two flambeaux, and giving one to Fortunato, bowed him through several suites of rooms to the archway that led into the vault. I passed down a long and winding staircase, requesting him to be cautious as he followed. We came at length to the foot of the descent, and stood together on the damp ground of the catacombs of the Monsieurs. The gait of my friend was unsteady, and the bells upon his cap jingled as we strode. Pipe, said he. It is much further on, said I. But observe, the white webwork which gleams from these cavern walls. He turned towards me and looked into my eyes with two flimsy orbs that distilled the room of intoxication. Nider? he asked at length. Nider, I replied. How long have you had that cough? My poor friend found it impossible to reply for many minutes. It, it is nothing, he said at last. Come, I said with decision. We will go back. Your health is precious. You're rich, respected, admired, beloved. You're happy as once I was. 
you're a man to be missed. For me, it is no matter. We'll go back. You'll be ill, and I cannot be responsible. Besides, there is Lucchesi. Enough, he said. The cough is a mere nothing. It'll not kill me. I shall not die of a cough. True, true, I replied. And indeed, I had no intention of alarming you unnecessarily. But you should use all proper caution. A draught of this bedock will help defend us against the draft. Here, I knocked off the neck of a ball which I drew from a long row of its fellows that lay upon the mould. Drink, I said, presenting him the wine. He raised it to his lips with a leer. He paused and nodded to me familiarly, while his bells jingled. I drink, he said, to the buried that repose around us, and I to your long life. He again took my arm, and we proceeded. These vaults, he said, they're extensive. The Monsieurs, I replied, were a great and numerous family. I forget your arms. It's a huge human foot door in a field azure. The foot crushes a serpent rampant whose fangs are embedded in the hill. And the motto? Nemo me impune lexi. Good, he said. The wine sparkled in his eyes and the bells jingled. My own fancy grew warm with the Madoc. We had passed through walls of piled bones with casks and puncheons intermingling in the innermost recesses of the catacombs. I paused again, and this time I made bold to seize Fortunato by the arm above the elbow. The nighter, I said. See? It increases. It hangs like moss upon the vaults. We're below the river's bed. The drops of moisture trickle along the bones. Come, we'll go back before it's too late. Your cough, it is nothing, he said. Let us go on. But first, another dram of the Madoc. I broke and reached him a flag in the de Graf. He emptied it in a breath. His eyes flashed with a fierce light. He laughed and threw the bottle upwards with a gesticulation I did not understand. I looked at him in surprise. He repeated the movement, a grotesque one. You do not comprehend, he said. Not I, I replied. Then you're not of the Brotherhood. Oh, you're not of the Masons. Yes, yes, I said. Yes, yes. You? Impossible. A Mason? A Mason, I replied. A sign, he said. It is this, I answered, producing a trowel from beneath the folds of my reliquaire. <laughs> you jest, he exclaimed, roll coiling a few paces. But let us proceed to the Amontillado. Be it so, I said, replacing the tool beneath my cloak, and again offering him my arm. He leaned upon it heavily. We continued our route in search of the Amontillado. We passed through a range of low arches, descended, passed on, descending again. Arrived at a deep crypt, in which the foulness of the air caused our flambeau rather to glow than flame. At the most remote end of the crypt there appeared another less spacious. Its walls had been lined with human remains, piled to the vault overhead, in the fashion of the great catacombs of Paris. 
Three sides of this interior crypt were still ornamented in this manner. From the fourth, the bones had been thrown down and lay promiscuously upon the earth, forming at one point a mound of some size. Within the wall thus exposed by the displacing of the bones, we perceived a still inner recess, depth about four feet, in width three, in height six or seven. It seemed to have been constructed for no special use within itself, but formed merely the interval between two of the colossal supports of the roof of the catacombs, and was backed by one of their circumscribing walls of solid granite. It was in vain the Fortunato, uplifting his dull torch, endeavoured to pry into the depth of the recess. Its termination the feeble light did not enable us to see. Proceed. Herein is the Amontalado. As for Lachesi, he is an ignoramus, interrupted my friend, as he stepped unsteadily forward, while I followed immediately at his heels. In an instant, he had reached the extremity of the niche, and finding his progress detested by the rock, stood stupidly bewildered. A moment more, and I had fettered him to the granite. In its surface were two iron staples, distinct from each other for about two feet horizontally. From one of these depended a short chain, and from the other, padlock. Throwing the links about his waist, it was but the work of a few seconds to secure it. He was much too astounded to resist. Withdrawing the key, I stepped back from the recess. Pass your hand, I said, over the wall. You cannot help feeling the nighter. Indeed, it is very damp. Once more, let me implore you to return. No? Then I must positively leave you. But I must first render you all the little attentions in my power. The Montalado, objected my friend, not yet recovered from his astonishment. True, true, I replied. The Montalado. As I said these words, I busied myself among the pile of bones which before I have spoken. Throwing them aside, I soon uncovered a quantity of building stone and mortar. With these materials, and with the aid of my trowel, I began vigorously to wall up the entrance of the niche. I had scarcely led the first tier of the masonry when I discovered that the intoxication of Fortunato hadn't a great measure worn off. The earliest indication I had of this was a low moaning cry from the depth of the recess. It was not the cry of a drunken man. There was then a long and obstinate silence. I led the second tier, and the third, and the fourth. Then I heard the furious vibrations of the chain. The noise lasted for several minutes, during which that I might have hearkened it to be with more satisfaction. I ceased my labours and sat down upon the bones. When at last the clanking subsided, I resumed the trowel and finished without interruption the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh tier. The wall was now nearly a level with my breast. I again paused, and holding the flambeau over the mason work, threw a few feeble rays upon the figure within. A succession of loud and chill screams, bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form, seemed to thrust violently back. For a brief moment, I hesitated. I trembled. Unsheathing my rapier, I began to grope with it about the recess, but thought of an instant reassured me. 
I placed my hand upon the solid fabric of the catacombs and felt satisfied. I reproached the wall. I replied to the yells of him who clamoured. I re-echoed. I aided. I surpassed them in volume and in strength. I did this, and the clamour grew still. It was now midnight, and my task was drawing to a close. I completed the eighth, the ninth, the tenth tier. I'd finished a portion of the last and the eleventh. There remained but a single stone to be fitted and plastered in. I struggled with its weight. I placed it partially in its destined position. But now there came from out the niche a low laugh that erected the hers upon my head. It was succeeded by a sad voice, which I had difficulty in recognising as that of the noble Fortunato. The voice said, <laughs> Very good joke indeed. An excellent jest. <laughs> we will have many a rich laugh about it in the palazzo. <laughs> over, over our wine. <laughs> the Amontillado? <laughs> yes, yes, the Amontillado. But it is not getting late. Will they not be awaiting us at the palazzo? The Lady Fortunato and the rest? Let us be gone. Yes, I said. Let us be gone. For the love of God, monsieur. Yes, I said. For the love of God. But to these words I hearkened in vain for a reply. I grew impatient. I called aloud, Fortunato. No answer. I called again, Fortunato. No answer still. I thrust a torch through the remaining aperture and let it fall within. There came forth in return only a jingling of the bells. My heart grew sick, on account of the dampness of the catacombs. I hastened to make an end of my labour. I forced the last stone into its position. I plastered it up. Against the new masonry, I had re-erected the old rampart of bones. For half a century, no mortal has ever disturbed them. In pace, brequias. I guess if there's a lesson to be taken from that story, it says some secrets have a way of being discovered and others, they stay hidden. I wish this riddle's answer was more obvious, though. Am I overthinking it? It might be. Okay, let's try again. So the queens were three I counted, the red, the white, and me. But how many stayed awake and made it home for tea? Well, that would be one, right? Alice, she sat with the two queens. They sat together. The queens fell asleep. So, one? The raven black, I pondered, never more or less. What number sits astride this confusing mess? Well, that's midnight. That would be twelve. But never more or less? Well, midnight would be zero, right? Zero? You don't get less than zero unless you're into real, like, algebra and stuff. All red and white, Alice ran the board. 
the distance running one way, the crown she ran toward. Well, that's Alice again. The eight squares, the whole chessboard thing, so... One away? One away. Okay. This last bit, though. Points were three, I counted. The looking glass did help. I saw the answer looking back at me as it sat upon a shelf. Well, it's three points, three numbers. Looking glass? That's just a fancy way to say mirror, so... Hmm. What if I held it up like this? So it's not 108. 801? Come on, let's give this one a try. safe. It's open. 